Welcome to episode 22 of the AFL Europe podcast. We're stepping away from our one kick ladder series this week and are very excited to welcome 2021 AFLW Brisbane Lions Premiership coach Craig Stasevich to the podcast. Plenty of people within the AFL Europe community will be familiar with Stas, who was presented in both of the AFL Europe coach development series, as well as running a training session with the German women's national team in Heidelberg last year and helping out the AFL Switzerland teams through the 2020 season, where he even played a game. Well, in this episode, whilst we appreciate and recognise Stas' efforts to support our great sport in Europe, sharing his experiences within the community, we take a dive into getting to know Craig Stasevich as a former AFL Premiership player with Collingwood and now AFLW Premiership coach of the Lions. In between, Stas has held roles such as high performance manager with the Lions men's team during their three-peat, as well as working in female football high performance with AFL Queensland. Stas has had a front row seat to see how both the men's and women's games have evolved over the years and shares with us some incredible stories and experiences from his time in the sport. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Collingwood AFL Hall of Famer and Premiership player and Brisbane Lions AFLW Premiership coach Craig Stasovich to the AFL Europe podcast. Stas, thank you so much for joining me. How are things? Uh, pretty good, Jackson. It's a um, bloody nice day in Basel today. Mid-30s, we'll be jumping in the Rhine this afternoon, so looking forward to it. Really appreciate you coming on for a chat, uh, just to chat all things AFL and AFLW. You've also done plenty of work with AFL Europe and the AFL Europe community, which um, we will jump into. But first, I got to ask, mate, what an achievement for yourself, the players in the club winning the first Lions AFLW Premiership? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it was a challenging season in a lot of ways, but um, um, our players have uh, firmly grasped onto the concept of team and, and playing a role for your team and, um, and, and sharing in each other's success. So, um, you know, they did it under a little bit of adversity at times. Um, and we had the, uh, the monkey on our back a little bit um, due to the fact that we'd never won a final. So um, to actually get a final at home at the Gabba to start things off with the, with the finals campaign and then go to Adelaide and win the whole lot was was really, really pleasing. So really young group. Um, I think we're the fourth youngest team in the comp, but um, somehow in all of that, we're the fourth most experienced too in terms of games played. So um, that's a nice little combination to have going forward. Yeah, I'm keen to jump into the challenges and um, how you got the group to really embrace them and push through the season. But taking back to game day, um, hearing that final siren, what did it mean to yourself and the club? Yeah, it was terrific. I, I can't actually... Um, I know I was on the boundary line at that point. I took a took a while to get down from the box to the boundary line because you're you're three goals up, but you never think you you never really think you're safe. And I've I've got the Lee Matthews equation running around in my brain that um, Goal goals minute. in front, minutes to go, you're not safe. So, um, but the boys in the box finally kicked me out with about 90 seconds left and and said, "Off you go, it's safe now." There's Craig Stasevich. He knows the job is now done. There's the smile. He can finally allow himself to relax. Sweet redemption. The Brisbane Lions are queens of the jungle. They are the champions of AFLW for the first time. So, yeah, no, it was terrific. And more so for, uh, definitely for the players, but more so for the staff, um, particularly uh, Brianna Brock and Matthew Green, our conditioner. Bree's been our CEO of women's footy all the way through. Um, a lot of our assistant coaches have been there for a long, along the way as well. So from that point of view, we've been quite stable off field. Um, we've had our challenges on field in terms of dealing with expansion uh, for those early couple of years. But um, yeah, really, really pleased for um, 
yeah, I think that's what that that that's the bit that fills you with most joy at the end. It's the staff and how much joy they get from it, and also the players, uh, parents, and families afterwards, just to see the absolute joy and and how proud they were of their daughters was um, was you know something that made me feel really good personally. Describe to me the build up. Uh, say a week into the game because there would have been plenty of different feelings um, and emotions heading into it. You just had, you had just been named AFLW Coach of the Year. Um, there are about eight players, no doubt, looking for redemption after the loss to the Crows in the grand final, like you mentioned. Plenty of staff, uh, as you mentioned as well. But then you've got players who are playing in the AFLW grand final for the first time. So again, can you describe the build-up going into the match as a head coach? Um, how do you manage everyone to ensure you're going to get the best performance out of the group on grand final day? Yeah, well, firstly, the award, which would have been a lousy thing to win had we not had team success. So um, that was, um, I was, I was honoured and chuffed, but a little bit uncomfortable with it because really what we need is what happens on Saturday. So um, to, to get, the, get the result was, was obviously front of mind. But yeah, very nice to receive that award, but it's a nod towards, again, all of our staff really, and, and the playing group that, you know, your coach gets um, that award, but it's really, um, really, it's the, the team that's elevated the coach to that status. Yep. Um, and then the other bit about the, the makeup of our list in terms of who's played and who, I, I think the, the 13 or 14 of them that hadn't played in the grand final before, I think that actually helped us quite a bit. Um, sure, our, our original gangsters in that group of uh, eight that played in the first two grand finals and, and didn't win, um, like like ourselves, we're, we're sort of hoping that surely this can't happen again. That we we get here and and but it could. We're playing against a very good opposition uh, in their hometown on their home deck, um, so there are a lot of lot of things that we had to deal with from that point of view, but. Um, I think you get a sense in the game itself how well you're competing. And I, I thought in the first five or ten minutes that our pressure was enormous. And, and we have our, our stats guys sitting in the box behind us letting us know what the pressure rating is. And it was well above 200, which won't mean much to people. But if you watch enough AFL, AFL footy now, they, they refer to the pressure rating with the boys quite a bit. And it's actually rare for a boys team to crack 200. So we, we were... Um, we were high with the pressure and I could tell we were in the contest and then it was a case of whether we could score enough to, um, to take advantage of it. But uh, yeah, you, you obviously can't beat the, the, the final siren is relief, um, but the joy that you feel for uh, people, um, I guess, other than yourself is, is probably where you get the most personal joy, I think. And premierships, I, I think it's fair to say it's one of the main reasons why a lot of people are involved in footy, whether that's playing or, coaching or administrating for yourself there's a big break now from the from the end of the 2021 season to the start of the 2022 season so what are some of the things Craig Stasevich uh, the head coach of the Lions needs to do whether it's now or in a couple months time or as pre-season arrives um, to ensure or motivate the players to give themselves the best chance of going all the way again or becoming um, really competitive yeah well it hardly stops actually so we, we had a couple of weeks of celebration back in Brisbane after it with, with a few um, bits and pieces of, um, you know, recognition from the city of Brisbane, keys to the city and those sorts of things. And, and, and a really nice club champion night dinner, which was more like 
uh, going to a wedding rather than going to a, a club BNF. It was you're surrounded by friends and family, and everyone's in celebratory mood the Friday after the granny. So that that was a wonderful night. Um, but it, it doesn't stop in terms of reviewing the year. Um, unfortunately, there's always people that you have to let go and then bring others on. So we're we're past the review stage. We've um, let some people go, unfortunately, um, because they've all been really critical to what happened in season 2021 in terms of having a strong squad uh, rather than just the 21 that ran out on the day. Um, so that's been that's been hard to do. Um, however, we're now in the phase of bringing people in. Um, so we, we end up re-signing one of our delistings and, and brought her back on the list. That's Ruby Spark, who's um, sister of Kathy in our team. And we've announced uh, Phoebe Monaghan from, from Richmond is coming into our group as well. She's had four years in the comp now as a defender for the Giants in Richmond. So we now have five spots left to, uh, uh, to take to the draft, which is, which is good. So um, that, that'll all happen pretty quickly. State League finals are on in Brisbane this weekend. Um, so that's, that's another area we'll, we'll look closely at, both from our academy kids' point of view. They'll be running around for a few a couple of the teams in that. Plus, there's always older age players in, in our State League that keep putting their hands up. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really fortunate that the, the QAFLWs, I, I think... The Victorians will say uh, BFLW is uh, the strongest state league in Australia. Yeah. I'll, I'll beg to differ on that. I, I think the, the conditions that we play in in Queensland at this time of the year, which is dry, fast, sunny, great weather, is more conducive to uh, producing AFLW players. So we're very confident in taking players out of that competition. Yeah. Are you confident in the players to be able to get through the year, attack pre-season and be right competitive again for the next season? I mean, as a player yourself, you've been through a premiership, played in a premiership. Are you, are you confident uh, in the girls to be able to do it again? I am, but from personal experience, I've, the Collingwood won back 30 years ago. We botched our back-to-back -back attempt because uh, we did probably let ourselves go across the across the summer and took a long way to, to get back. That's, that's not the whole story. There were some injuries and other little bits of misfortune so that can always happen but you want to make sure you're in good shape when the next season comes around so I've seen that end of the spectrum I've also seen the Brisbane Lions through 010203 where uh, in my role as high performance manager you are always wary about how they returned to pre-season and if anything they came back in better shape in those in that, that little period so that the mindset of the group and the group was extraordinary at that time but um you know, led by Voss and Ackermanis and, and Black and Power and Brown and Lynch and, you know, some great, great players. Uh, but they drove the culture of uh, continual improvement and hard training. And, um, you know, we're, we're very, very determined to keep winning flags. They got a, they got a taste of it and they, they wanted to keep doing it, which was became a driving force for uh, the Brisbane Lions in that little period. I'm seeing similar traits with our girls, um, but I'll 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 just stay calm and uh, <laughs> reserve judgment until I see what they're like uh, later on this year. And you mentioned you're going through um, obviously the off-season period, signing players, delisting players, um, and you touched on Lions being one of the youngest teams in the comp. I think I counted there were five players in the top ten um, of the Lions 2021 BNF that were under the age of 23. One in particular I wanted to ask about, um, I'm, sure you could, I'm sure you could guess, was Ola O'Dwyer. What impact has she had on the Lions throughout her years at the club? And, I mean, where do you see her taking her footy over the years? Yeah, well, Ola, 
when we first inter uh, interviewed her, which was a couple of years ago now, um, Bree and I got off the Zoom call to her and, and both thought, geez, she's determined and she's organised and um, in a in not a conceited way, but in a in a in a humble way, she was able to tell us what she was what she was good at and and what she could bring to the table. And and it was a long list, um, but it was terrific for her to see the self confidence um, to say, "I really want to have a go at this." Then we thought, "Yeah, yeah, that that really um, you know that really resonates with us in terms of someone who's that enthusiastic and desperate to to have a go at this." And then the other part of it is when you actually invite someone halfway around the world, it, the responsibility that we have as coaches and management to make sure that's a, a good experience for her, that, that bit, um, there was, there was I, I felt a heavy responsibility for that. So to make sure that she could get her skills up to a level that she could at least compete in her first year. And to that end, she was always readily available to do extra stuff, always wanted feedback on how a game was going, all those sorts of things. So her rapid improvement is uh, purely from her own drive. Um, and I'm really happy that she's been able to do that, but also, um, you know, make some great mates within the team as well. That's the other aspect. So, yeah, come into a new team. You're the foreigner. You're the outsider. How quickly can you... Um, establish some friendship groups and feel like you belong. Um, and I think she's done that really, really well. The, the key with all of because she's such a, an exceptional athlete, I think most of our pre-season, earlier, early days in pre-season at least, we're doing a lot of testing. So it might be a 2K time trial or it might be whatever it is. But for all of, all of to get out there, you know, first or second night and brain them in the 2K, straight away you got the respect of the group. So... Um, yet we haven't recruited someone who's athletically inept, you know, straight away they can see, wow, this, this girl's got something, at least athletically. Yep. Uh, and then when the footy started, there were, you know, a few sort of um, times where she thought, I'm never going to really pick this up. It's, I'm really struggling with the actual skill part of it. Um, but she's a determined person and, um, you know, she, she just keeps working hard and trying to improve and, and this year, it just seemed to click a bit for her. There's, there's, there's a lot of work to go in terms of her disposal being precise every single time. And she probably leaves us a few scoring shots out there on the ground each week too, where we think that, you know, with a step or two, she can be a regular, a regular goal kicker. And it is really only a step or two out of traffic just to get herself balanced and have a ping and, and she'll be a regular scorer. Um, so that's, that's coming along um, really nicely. Uh, but really the big movement this year was her embracing of the physical stuff. Um, she's become a very good uh, rundown tackler. Uh, she hits a 50-50 contest with real speed and power. We, we often say that the, 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 the contest explodes when she arrives because it either she wins it or the ball pops out and then we take it away. So, yeah, so all those things have been really pleasing. So it's, it's, it's great to see that uh, she's made such rapid improvement. Eight at quarter time. As O'Dwyer bursts through, can she get on her preferred left? She can, and she slotted it. She's really improved in this second season. She's gone from averaging eight disposals up to 13 this year. Become an important cog in the Brisbane side, and a great smile too. She, she enjoyed it. Let's get back onto the 2021 season, uh, perhaps moments that led to you guys making the, the final series in the grand final um, and challenges. 
I think some of the challenges you guys faced, um, as you mentioned, sort of at the start of the podcast through 2021 was the traveling um, and on such, sort no- on such short notice. What moments or periods of time throughout the season, I suppose, made you most proud of the group? When the fixture came out last year, before COVID got in the way, we had six games in Queensland, three interstate, um, which is a rarity for us. It's normally the other way around. Um, by the time the season finished, uh, we ended up having five home and six interstate. So completely flipped over by the time uh, the new fixture came out. But there was a period between round five and round seven um, where we we're on the road uh, three weeks consecutively. So that that little period there, I don't, I don't think an AFL team or an AFLW team's ever done that, certainly not AFLW. And I'd have to rack my brains to go back to maybe Adelaide in the late 90s, having three travels in a row during finals. But the schedule just doesn't happen that way with AFL men's. It's always, if you're, uh, if you're a non-Victorian team, it's always home away, home away, home away. So you don't get three in a row away. We had Fremantle in Perth. Um, down and back to Canberra for the day to play the Giants. And then we're expecting to play Collingwood at home, but then there was um, a case in Brisbane. So they had to take that away from Brisbane and play. And with 24 hours notice, we went down to Melbourne to play Collingwood. So, and that was down and back in the day as well. So after that Collingwood game, we, we, we sort of thought, you know, this, this team's capable of, of handling any obstacle thrown at it. They, they roll with the punches, they get on with it. And that's, I, I think that was the first time some of us started to think we're, we're a big chance here. That was my next question. Um, at what point of time did you think the group was a genuine yeah, chance to win the flag? But like you said, sort of through that period. Through the, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, We came back after that. We played North at the Gabba the week after that and had a win there. That was the girls' first ever game at the Gabba. Week after that, we lowered our colours a little bit by dropping a game to Melbourne in round nine. That was only by a couple of points. And then, then we got into the final series after that. Things that help get through those tough periods of time or challenges just in general are setting values at a club. How important are setting values for yourself or I suppose setting values that you think players believe in through the season? Yeah, I think that's that's really important. They've one, one of them, I won't go through all three of them, but one of them is sisterhood. And... They, the players drive this. We, we, we'll, we'll put it up on slides and we'll refer to it, you know, a couple of times a week. Uh, but they'll, they'll make a particular mention of sisterhood acts in games. So they're the little things like picking your teammate up off the ground after a, when a stoppage is called and those sorts of things, just little bits and pieces like that. But it extends to training nights. It extends to uh, looking after people who might need to spend, you know, if someone, we've got a few girls that live on the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. And if if the travel becomes an issue for them getting backwards and forwards, girls will put their hands up and say, you know, stay at my place tonight and um, save your driving, all that sort of stuff. So those those little things about just the, the random acts of kindness, basically, just to look after each other are really, really important in a, in a team setting. Um, and, and the girls every week have a, an award that they give the, their players play and they'll often reference why. Um, and it'll be someone who's played a particular role and had to lock down a dangerous opponent or a particular act in the game, those sort of things. But yeah, the values have been really, really strong and they're not something that we'll spend a bit of time on them in the preseason. And we, I guess, have been guilty of putting them up on the wall in previous years and just looking at them and, and not really referring or living them. And I think this year they've really lived their values, which has been really good. 
are they have they been sort of quite consistent over the past few years and then in comparison to your playing days are, are all values are that do you think they're quite sort of similar in that sense then I reckon that's where professional teams are now I reckon that's that's changed a lot I mean I, I can remember doing um, culture and values things when we were playing however I'm not sure how often we refer to them after we actually sat down and did them. And it's normally a pre-season camp or something along those lines. But I, I don't know. It, it depends on, I guess, who, who's driving it with, you, with your team. That's the, the influential people, which is the coach and the leadership group and those sort of things. But I can, I can think from playing days that our reliance at times, this is probably when I was playing, and that's 80s and 90s, we were still pretty reliant on the guns in the team having an influential impact on the game. Um, sure, we had role players and we had, uh, and we had people, um, you know, that were working hard and, and, play, and doing their bit for the team. But at the end of the day, if our, if our stars were not performing, I think the, the team generally would suffer. Um, but maybe, maybe thinking back now, I'm just being a bit reflective now. I mean, a, a lot of people have called our Collingwood team that won the flag in 90, a, a pretty mediocre team that happened to win a premiership. But um, when I think of the work rate of that team and and we had our splattering of superstars in there as well, was, that's probably pretty unfair judgment, really. But um, I, I guess we were probably playing and living the values without actually talking about it. So um, whereas now there's probably a lot more time with team meetings and, you know, the, the, the boys being full-time professionals how much more time they get during the day just to sit down and talk about these sort of things and, and grow them and expand on them. You've been head coach with the Lions since the launch of the team um, and the AFLW competition uh, since 2017. Um, the club has faced yeah a few challenges over the years. Um, I, we briefly talked about the losses, uh, the grand final losses in 2017 and 2018. Um, but through the AFLW's first expansion period, there would have been some tough conversations with players. I mean, who now have the opportunity to return home and still compete um, at the highest level, uh, in which I understand you guys did lose a number of players, which might have impacted your 2019 season. So what sort of, what sort of time was it like for the club? Um, how did you turn it around in 2020 and how can you prevent that happening again in the future? Yeah, the, the expansion, depending on what way you look at it, if you, because I had a little bit of history with the development pathway before AFLW came along. So what, what we were driven by was, um, okay, the boys have had these long established talent pathways. Uh, obviously the men's comp's been going forever. Um, we need something like that. If, if, if and I, you get this perspective, I think if you live in a Northern state or you live in a state that's not um, dominant AFL. So what we're trying to do in those states is capture the hearts and minds of as many people as possible and get them across to AFL footy and get them playing. And secondary to all of that, I guess, is making sure that our, our teams are successful. But, but if you're involved in growing the game in those states, uh, every elite athlete or every, every elite kid growing up has got so many choices. Um, you know, if you're a girl growing up in Queensland, your soccer, your rugby sevens, your netball, your basketball, your, there's a million different things. Now, we're trying to get that first choice athlete to come play AFL footy. So that, that's, that's really the driving motivator um, to get as many people playing as you can. So from that aspect, I'm gonna, this is a roundabout way of saying 
it's great that we've expanded AFLW. However, at the time we were, well, I was entrusted with coaching the Lions and we lost a lot of players to expansion. So hard for you to deal with with your team as coach, but great for the game generally, particularly in Queensland to get the Gold Coast Suns into the competition as well. So now, now we have got a really big footprint with female elite sport in Queensland. So that's, that's a really good thing as well. But really tough for us. Like at the end of after, well, North Melbourne and Geelong came in after year two, we lost five players there. And then when the four teams came in after 2019, Suns, Eagles, Saints and Richmond, we lost 11 players. So in, in the space of two years, we've gone from playing in two grannies, but then losing 16 players to the expansion. Um, so, yeah, build from the ground up again and start. Uh, fortunately, though, if that, that little period, we kept the eight players that had been there from day dot, and they've been super players for us when, when you think of who they are, Kate Luckins and Emily Bates, who's won two BNFs, Ali Anderson, who's won two BNFs, Kate Luckins has uh, been an All-Australian three times and, and won the uh, Norma Smith medal this year as BOG. Um, so... Yeah, so it's it's been great to keep those, but we've provided opportunities for others to come through. We've also got nine academy players on our list at the moment, and we're probably going to add another three of those in the next in the next draft. So we're getting close to half our list being academy players, which um, I know the boys' team at the moment, they've got more on their list, obviously. They've got 40, 45 players on the list. I'm going to say they've got half a dozen or eight academy players in that group as well. Yeah, uh, but we'll get close to fifty percent of our list being being academy, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, so roundabout way of saying there, Jackson, that um, from a footy purist point of view, and and providing opportunities for elite females in Australia, we've done a really good job. Yeah, but as Lions coach, it was tough to go through. Well, credit to the girls for sticking through because um, obviously it has shown to be a great result uh, for you guys winning the premiership recently. But also credit to yourself and the coaching group for being able to turn it around in such a short amount of time. Yeah, that, that, that group of eight that stuck with us, it was yeah so pleasing, particularly, you know, like Emma Zilke, who's been captain of four of the five years, and uh, she goes out retiring as a premiership captain, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, there's no better way. And you briefly mentioned or briefly spoke about uh, the growth of the women's game in Brisbane or in Queensland. Um, there's no doubt you must be pretty proud of that, being involved in it for such a long time now. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. There's a lot of people that did um, plenty of work before that as well but um, you know to take something that was a bit of a novelty uh, community sport event into now something that is a well-established state league got two AFLW clubs in your market um, you know hopefully hopefully what our team's done this year it's I don't know what the numbers are but hopefully it's driven um, registrations with um, girls playing AFL in the Brisbane market but right across Queensland um, so that, that's, that's really, really important that we capitalise on that. We've got a really strong academy. Um, like I said, we're probably going to have three or four kids get drafted this year into our group from there. And there's a long queue of them waiting in the next few years as well. Yeah. Um, so that aspect's really, really exciting. So um, across the whole competition, we've, we've become the biggest contracted female sport in Australia in the space of five years, if you, if you look at it that way. So... You know, we've got the 14 teams with 30 contracted players per, per club. So we're, what's that, 420 contracted players um, 
in Australian female sport is, is now makes us the biggest contracted female sport in Australia, which is which is great in a short space of time. And Madden. In the meantime, Starzevich to put Collingwood further ahead. He goes. His first. 27, Craig Starzevich. Life before coaching, we mentioned roles uh, with AFL Queensland and in female football, high performance, high performance manager at Brizzy, and then played professionally, obviously, through the AFL. Let's talk to you to your playing days just quickly. What were some of your most favourite or memorable moments from that time? It's a while, a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, the vision is colour, though. It's not black and white, so yep. I can say that. Um, but... Um, Oh, they were different times. The, the, the 80s and 90s were different. We were part-timers. We were, we were doing what our girls are doing now. We all had jobs. Um, we'd train two or three nights a week and we'd play primarily Saturday afternoon. Um, I know even in the 80s and 90s when Collingwood started to play the odd game on Easter Monday or the odd game on a Saturday night interstate, they were novelty events. That was unusual. And I think if you think back, North Melbourne used to play a lot of Friday night games at the MCG and they were they were almost the trailblazers for the Friday night, night games during that period. But as you know now, um, you might be too young to know, Jackson, but um, it's, spread, it's spread across, you know, Thursday through to Monday. Um, Thursday night footy is great, I might add. I think I love, I love Thursday night footy. Um, but all of those things were quite, or very unusual back in the 80s and 90s. You, you would often have four or five games at the same time, two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, not all of them telecast. Um, so you can think of the things uh, um, judiciary-wise that people were getting away with in some of those <laughs> games because they weren't always televised. And, and we're, all, we're all glad now that the game's moved to where it has. But highlights during that period, where we played finals most years through that period. Yep. Um, the, the, the games I can remember most are, are drawing with West Coast Eagles at Waverley in our premiership year, which um, they had no capacity back then to play extra time in the rules. So um, I remember the siren going and, and standing next to Michael Brennan, who was uh, the West Coast opponent I was playing on. And we both, we knew each other from Perth days and we looked at each other and said, well, what are we doing now? Like, <laughs> we're sort of waiting for some guidance from umpires as to do we walk off or do we play extra time? Or, But, uh, yeah, it was come back next week, play the game again, uh, which actually helped us more than it did Essendon, who were our eventual adversaries in the granny, who um, back in those days, first week of the finals, if you finished top of the ladder, you had the week off. So us having the draw against West Coast meant that Essendon didn't have one week off, they had two weeks off. So you go from being uh, fresh to rusty pretty quickly. So uh, we, we actually benefited uh, from having that extra game against West Coast and, and Essendon probably went the other way that they missed out on match practice. So we were pretty lucky by the end of the final series uh, to, to get through that way. Do some of the Lions girls quiz you about your playing days? Not much, no. No, they, we're, well, not not when not when I've got Clark Keating and Simon Black on the coaching staff. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, uh, anything we've done in our careers, and Daniel Merritt before uh, also in a few few years before that. But um, 
No, not not often. Not often. They're they're, they're more interested in blackie and and, <laughs> uh, and crackers, to be honest. How would you define the way you played, the way you went about it? Um, my style of footy was uh, connecting half forward, so which which didn't have that title back in the day. So it was more more lead up, uh, connect with the defence, uh, running half forward uh, before running half forward was probably. Um, that fashionable, I guess. So there were a few of us playing a similar style of footy. I know, I don't know, not so much Dermot Brereton, but um, a guy called Peter Curran who played at Hawthorne during their golden age as well, probably played similar. Um, Earl Spalding was playing for Melbourne and Carlton around the same time. So um, yeah, probably more half forward, but not stay at home half forward. It was more get up the ground, connect with your defenders and then and then turn around and try and get back and score. So that, that was more my go. Yeah. Whereas the Wayne Carey's of the world and Stuart Lowe's and all those sort were, were the big pack contested mark type of player. And that, that probably wasn't my go. I was watching some vision from the nineties grand final the other day. Um, the ball comes in long, you're paddling it forward. You get your hands onto it, get onto Dacos um, and there you are connecting him. I think he has a, a snap from the boundary and kicks this unbelievable goal. Boundary throw in up over the top, Stasevich. No one can break clear. Attempt to the advantage of Dacos. Look at the gather. The right foot snap. This is a miraculous kick. Yeah, that, that would happen most weeks, actually. That Dake, not, not me helping Dakes, but Dakes doing something um, miraculous. So, um, yeah, if, if anyone... I mean, we all watch his sons. I mean, his, Josh is now playing with Collingwood and, and Nick will be on their list next year, but... Uh, for anyone who's got an interest in Europe and wants to go back and watch um, the Macedonian marble, Peter Dacos, um, go go and look on YouTube and have a look at his highlights because it's it's well worth watching. Um, Dakes would pull something out of his hat most weeks, and we were just very fortunate to have front row seats to you know just sitting back and just applauding like the supporters. Basically, it was, it was some of the stuff he did was amazing. This question could be quite broad, but I suppose learnings from your role, uh, or I mean, playing, or from your from your later roles that have helped you with your coaching to date. Yeah, I guess I've been very, very lucky to have um, Lee Matthews not, uh, coach uh, coach me as a player, but also I worked with him when when he was coach of Brisbane as well. So in my role as high performance manager, we we spoke a lot about. Um, how to best manage the team and how to best prepare the team through that little period in the early 2000s. So um, to spend that much time of my adult working life around someone like that has been super beneficial to the way I've gone about things as, as a coach. Um, I don't think I want to speak exactly the same way he does or do, do things exactly the same way as, as your previous coaches do. You want to have your own uh, personality in there somewhere. Um, but there's no doubt that his ethics and, and the way he sees the game have shaped my views, no doubt about that. Um, and then a couple of roles that I've had outside of actual coaching. I, I did two years with soccer as well as a conditioner um, with the Brisbane Raw A-League team. That was fantastic as well. That was a breath of fresh air at the time, to be honest, to, to deal with um, those types of athletes. And we had, a, we had quite a swag of them go through the Socceroos at that time, which was really pleasing um so that that opened my eyes up to to that that uh, that sport um but then i ended up back in talent um with afl so first of all with boys talent and then with female talent and um that also gave me a good understanding of 
um, what types of players we should be looking for. Um, I had a good grasp of their physical attributes, but I probably didn't pay enough attention to um, their technical attributes. You know, the what what players don't fumble, who's clean, who's got great kicking skills, who's got great vision. Um, those those types of areas, I think, uh, I needed to understand a lot more, and I think that's that's helped us with um, the types of players we're getting into the Lions AFLW team now. Was coaching something you always wanted to do? Not not really. I, I sort of when I did the high performance roles. Um, so I had ten years with Brisbane. Uh, sorry, nine years with Brisbane. Had a year with St Kilda. A couple of years with um, with uh, A League. And then I got into talent. I thought the talent side of things was going to be it. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of stay in that area and, and look after talent pathways for boys or girls or both. Uh, and then when the Brisbane opportunity arose and, and they asked whether I'd be interested in, in it, um, I, I, I took it on, yeah, probably thinking it wouldn't be a long-term thing, but I think you do get addicted to it a little bit. Um, and you get connected to your players and your staff, and it's it's a it's a very difficult thing to live without. Actually, it it's it's all you know it it absorbs your life in a lot of ways. But um, you do like to see people that um, you've drafted come through and you know have the success that they end up having. So you know this year when I think of and these are only examples, but uh, Bell Doors or Nat Grider or Jade Allinger or. Jesse Wardlaw, or those types of people that we drafted two or three, four years ago, Sophie Conway, to see them come through now and actually be premiership players in their early 20s is, is very rewarding from our point of view. So that, that part of it is, is a hard, it's a hard, um, hard thing to take yourself away from. Yeah. Yep. Was the role of coaching um, what you expected it to be and how have you seen it evolve over the years? Because I understand you're not just a coach these days, you know, you're a manager, um, a leader, a teacher, even at times maybe a psychologist to the players. Yeah, more of that actually. Um, there's there's lots and lots of one-on-one -on -one chats, which um, even this year when I think of the players that, you know, might flick you a text halfway through the week and say, can we sit down and have a coffee? Because I just need to um, talk about a few things and find out whether you're happy with what I'm doing. So that that type of stuff is is really really valuable and if i could do more of that and less of hands on coaching at training sessions i think i'd be more valuable as head coach so the more the more i've unloaded um, in terms of our assistant coaches taking training and speaking to the group more and and leaving leaving my voice to be a little bit more impactful on game day i think that's that's got its benefits um, so that's that's the route I'd prefer to go down, and then and also the catch ups where you can spend some you know more meaningful time away from training sessions and say right, let's have a coffee tomorrow morning at ten o'clock and let's get to the bottom of this. Um, that's that's really valuable. So that part I think um, I'd like to continue to do and probably offload even more stuff to um, the assistant coaches to let the players have a different voice for a start. Um, but also help them develop as coaches as well. So that that bit's that bit's pretty important. I think one of the best things about um, footy, whether it's in Australia or across the world, is is the people involved. Um, you get to meet some some fantastic people. You've uh, come across to AFL Europe or the AFL Europe, met the AFL Europe community in recent years. Um, you've presented at 
both of our coach development series over the last two years. Um, how have you enjoyed uh, presenting in this in the series and sharing your knowledge and experiences to the coaches um, in the AFL community? Yeah, it's been fantastic. You're always mindful of where you're pitching um, the information because I think there's a lot of coaches out there that would love to know uh, what we get up to in terms of um, what we throw at our players, but we're mindful that um, teams in Europe, even teams in Australia, don't have the resources that we do to to service the team the way we do. So that's that's um, that's something that's always in the back of our mind. But the the thing that's blown me away with particularly the coaching courses has been how many people have been online on a Sunday morning, uh, sometimes in the middle of summer, which is you know people are probably trying to want to get out. So um, what AFL Europe and, and Ryan have done in the last um, couple of years to get through this little tough period that we're all going through, but still have some uh, meaningful content where people can improve their coaching skills or improve their playing ability has been phenomenal. So to have that many people engaged and, and wanting to um, find out about AFL generally, but improve their coaching at the same time blows me away. Um, and I had... Um, I'm with the Basel Dragons here pretty much every Wednesday night. So I get to see that group and we've become friends and we kick the footy together and we play some games against Zurich and Geneva and so forth, Winterthur. Um, but the, I had a weekend last year with the German Eagles um, players up in uh, Heidelberg. And one of the girls who played Bundesliga women's uh, soccer back um, in her glory days and I'm sure um, she would have been a great athlete in that setting as well, um, had only just discovered AFL. And her words to me was, where has this sport been all my life? And I thought, you know, if, if we can get the word out in Europe, if that's her reaction, um, I'm sure there'll be other ex-soccer players, ex-handball players, ex-basketball, whatever sport they've come from. Yep. If they discover AFL and get its feel for all the skill and athleticism that's involved to play it well, I'm sure they'll have the same reaction she did, um, which always sits in the back of my mind. I, I couldn't believe she was saying it, actually, I, because I'm intrigued. I'm sort of, how did you find AFL footy, you know? Um, and when you found it, what did you think of it? So um, it, it, it's interesting to see their reactions. Is that a genuine interest then for you to be, or keeping an eye out for talent or recruiting over here? Or is it just something you have in the back of your mind as a coach? Oh, no, definitely. I mean, Ireland's the easy one um, to some degree because the skill set is very transferable from the get-go. It's footy with a round ball, essentially. Um, so the, 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 the movement on the field, the, the kicking skills, the handling, the taking on opponents, all that stuff is the instincts are footy instincts. So that's easy. And the boys have picked it up well. The girls have picked it up well. Um, that's, that's a no-brainer. Um, I, I reckon the next group are probably soccer goalkeepers, male and female, who basically play AFL in their position, if you think about it. So um, that, that's another group that I think would pick it up pretty easily. Soccer players generally uh, pick up AFL well, whether they're you know, a, a field player or a goalkeeper. I know in our... Lions AFLW team. We have uh, Emma Zilke from soccer. We have Shannon Campbell from soccer. Um, Greta Bodie from soccer. So there's three that come to mind straight away um, that have come from uh, you know elite soccer backgrounds that have been really good. Uh, Brianna Davy at Collingwood, who just won the league BNF, 
uh, was an ex-Matildas goalkeeper. So, you know, that, that skill set from that player um, means that the whole of Europe is there for us if we can find someone. Um, and getting, getting a person from that background to come and experience AFL for the first time, I think that's the first step because uh, I'm sure they probably don't even know it exists. Um, but the Irish girls are definitely all over it. And I know, I know this year, I think one of the TV stations actually was showing quite a bit of AFLW in Ireland. So, you know, that's, that's huge from our point of view. Um, and the beauty of semi-pro women's sport right now is you can do both. So if you're, a, if you're a Gaelic player in Ireland and you want to try your hand at AFLW, there is potential to be able to go backwards and forwards um, once we come out of COVID and we can travel more freely, but you can potentially still do both and you're not, you're not sort of trapped in a professional uh, setup and you, you, you're not able to do both. So those, those options are there for the female players now. How much longer? Who knows? But yep. it's possible. I suppose there might be chances in the coming years um, with the next expansion um, period in the AFLW. I think it's meant to be 18 teams by the end of 2023. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not, I'm less worried. Yeah, more, more opportunities for, um, for a bit of lateral thinking and, and trying to get a player from Europe or, or a player, uh, more players from Ireland. Um, I don't think that's going to hurt the existing clubs as much as it did in the initial years because logic tells you that we've now got 14 teams. So if players are going to move, they're going to be more evenly. Uh, dispersed across those 14 rather than just our, the foundation clubs that bore the brunt of it, um, particularly us, when expansion came around. So, yeah, so that, that's, yeah, that's exciting, that bit. But, um, yeah, getting, getting up and playing in Europe is probably the first priority and then, um, and then exposing as many people as we can and, and getting interested in the sport. Yeah, I understand. You played last year, actually. Um, it would have been nine aside out in AFL uh, Switzerland. How'd you go? Getting the kit on and uh, getting out. Um, I squeezed into a undersized Basel Dragons. That's what I'm saying, at least, anyway. <laughs> undersized Basel Dragons jumper. Um, was very, very tight. Um, yeah, got a few kicks as a very unaccountable uh, defender. Yep. <laughs> um, just, just sitting in the back half. Um, not really paying too much attention to my direct opponent. So doing all the things I tell my players not to do so um but no god it was fun um and you forget you forget about just how much fun it is to to play um because i haven't played for a long time but to actually get on the field and actually play a game and you know feel the camaraderie and and feel you know that oh geez i'm back in a contest again like all of that despite not running around like you did when you're in your 20s and 30s um, to actually get out there and just feel what it's like to play again and be in a team was was enormous. And then, you know, obviously after the game with um, a few refreshments and dissecting the game and having a few laughs, that 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 bit is is super valuable after a game because that's when everyone's buzzing. Yeah. That's when everyone's still talking about, oh, you know, you see Jackson kick that goal from 50 or whatever. Um, they're the things that, that yeah, that, that bit after... And we, we say it even to our players, that half an hour after the game's finished, and I've heard them say it with the boys' comp as well, but that, that's the best time in footy, particularly if you've won. So that, that, that period where you can, you know, celebrate with your teammates, reflect on what worked and great moments and inspirational acts or whatever it was, that little 
30 minute window after the game is is uh, so valuable. And I, I I felt that when I played my one game last year. And just quickly, thoughts on the Niner side. Um, obviously, plenty of countries in Europe or leagues can only field Niner side or don't have the um, oval capacities to play 18 side. So, what were your initial thoughts on the on the Niner side game? I love Niner side because we play lots of it with our Lions girls at training. To be honest, um, sometimes even seven aside. So, um, yeah, particularly when you've only got a relatively small field, um, nine aside just makes perfect sense. And if you're bringing in novice players who have not played AFL before, they want they want as much time and space as you can possibly give them. So I, I would say, yeah, just it, it's it's an opportunity to bring someone in and let their first experience of AFL be a good one because it wasn't congested. It wasn't 12 v 12 or 15 v 15 or 18 v 18. And I couldn't touch it because there were bodies everywhere. It's nice and open. And, um, you know, I had a chance to um, get my hands on the ball and have a kick and do something, yep. you know, so that, that first experience for someone new coming in, I reckon is really important. So I, I love nine side for that reason. Just a few more things before we finish up here today, Stas. Um, I did reach out to the AFL Europe community last week on Instagram at AFL Europe. Um, we had some questions come in for yourself. There was one from Cameron who asked, who is your favourite footy player to watch? Um, so let's go in the AFL and the AFLW. So not a Brisbane Lions player? Uh, yeah, let's exclude <laughs> Lions players. If it was, if it was, uh, if it was Lions, I'd be going uh, Charlie or... Uh, Hugh McLuggage so one of one of those two would probably be my two faves at the moment um, and okay it, Dusty definitely um, for all the things that Dusty does which is stand up in big games primarily um, the things he was doing last year in the in the game against Geelong the grand final um, were timely inspirational uh, it had been raining in Brisbane that afternoon, so the ground was a fraction uh, greasy. He was clean when other people weren't clean. One touch, you know, kicking goals. Uh, yeah, so I don't need to elaborate on Dusty. Everyone, that's uni- universally accepted. Um, and then pr- probably in our team, um, yeah, I'm not going to single out anyone from our team. Um, I, I <laughs> sort of, because there are a few in there for different reasons. So I'll, 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 I'll leave that out. I'll probably the ones I really like in the comp now are Erin Phillips at her best. Um, and she may have just been hampered by a bit of injury at the back end of the year. Chelsea Randall also at Adelaide. Um, those, those two. There'll be others I've, I've not mentioned and I should. Um, Karen Paxman at Melbourne is a great player. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few, but I, I would say the player that's had the biggest impact in the five years, no doubt, is Erin Phillips. Um, and she's now 35 or 36 years old, twilight years. Um, even though she started AFL pretty late, we've got to find a way to recognise her um, in terms of whether we name the best and fairest after her or name the grand final medal after her. She's won two of each. So, um, yeah, we've got to do something there. Um, I think because all of our awards are currently unnamed. It's league MVP at the moment and it's um, best player on the grand final day. So we actually, we're, I know the AFL's conscious of that and they're, they're, they're certainly looking at what, what legacy needs to be, um, you know, bestowed upon whoever that medal is named after. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's something for the future, but I'd love it to be Aaron. 
And I'll just read out one more, an interesting one from Collier. He asks, can you tell us about your Croatian heritage and are you aware of the Croatian success in AFI Europe? Yeah, I've only recently um, found out about the success of the Croatian team in um, the World Cup. Um, so that that bit I'm, I I understand D- Division Two I believe yeah Division Two International Cup yeah so um, I knew they were strong but I didn't know that they'd won that so that's um, I'm pleased to hear uh, my Croatian heritage is um, from the Dalmatian Dalmatian coast primarily so my all my grandparents are Croatian so my um, mother's side of the family come from the area around Makarskar and and split and my father's family uh, my father comes from um, a little town called Lik near Zagreb and my uh, grandmother on my dad's side comes from Var the island of Var which I've not been to I've been to Dalmatian coast and I've been to Dubrovnik and split uh, but I haven't been to the islands yet so um, Vars definitely on the on the list. I need to get there. That's uh, that's where my paternal grandmother comes from. So I want to get there. Awesome. Well, just last one from me, Sass. Before we finish up, I want to ask you what's the first thing that comes to mind um, when you hear these names, whether it's about your relationship with them or just describing them. Um, so if you're ready, let's go straight into it with the first one: Emma Zilke, uh, leader; Lee Matthews, uncompromising; Peter Dacos, magical. Michael Voss. Uh, hard. Uh, Dakota Davidson. Enthusiasm. Orla O'Dwyer. Athlete. Australian footy. Awesome. The AFO Europe community. Uh, amazing. And finally, mate, family. Special. Yep, awesome. That's it, mate. Stas, it's been it's been awesome to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and just letting the AFO Europe community get to know a bit more about yourself and your life. Again, thanks for all the support you've given uh, the sport over here in Europe. And we look forward to hopefully keeping in touch with you and seeing more of you over here in the next couple of years. Pleasure, mate. It's been uh, been great fun. So anyone needs any help with anything, sing out. I'm happy to help when, uh, when we can start moving around more freely, which is going to happen. So uh, pleasure, mate. Enjoyed it. There you have it, the great man that is Craig Stasevich. Thanks to all listeners who have tuned into this episode and the podcast so far. To keep up to date with future episodes, you may hit subscribe on the platform you're listening through or head to any of our socials at AFL Europe and chuck us a follow. See you later.